0: Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com.
1: Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show.
2: I remember being young and black and marching against the Vietnam War and remembering that a lot of young people did not turn out to vote. And the result of that was Richard Nixon.
1: Democrats' generational divide is growing. It's Friday, February 2nd, and this is Here and Now, Anytime from NPR and WBWare Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, Tennessee's abortion laws denied Allie Phillips reproductive health care. Now... She's running for office to change those laws. And Darius Rucker just got a spot on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but the country music star is still down to earth. He sings for kids in the hospital.
3: Oh, they love it. I always ask the same question, you know, what song do you want to hear? And 90% of the time, it's Wheel." Well.
1: <laughs> Rucker on his new album and much more coming up in about 15 minutes. But first, South Carolina's Democratic Party chair Crystal Spain says she has no doubt voters will turn out for President Biden in that state's primary this weekend. Four years ago, South Carolina's primary saved Biden's candidacy. This time around, he doesn't really even have to run for the nomination. But the primary is still important because it could help gauge support for Biden ahead of November, especially among black voters. For a sense of how people are feeling there, we called up two voters spanning generations. Chris Sally is a former party chairman in the state, but recently left the Democrats. We'll hear why in a minute. He lives in Anderson County and works as a nonprofit consultant. And the Reverend Leo Woodbury is from Florence, South Carolina. He works at the environmental justice group, New Alpha Community Development Corporation. They spoke with Deepa Fernandez.
4: So, Reverend, I'll start with you. President Biden is facing a long-shot challenge from Marianne Williamson and also from Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota. Now, you voted for Biden in 2020, but I'm told not enthusiastically. How do you think he's doing so far as president?
2: Well, I, I think he's doing great as, a, as president. I think that while partisan politics is really throwing a shadow on his work. Historically, we're going to find out that he is is one of the greatest presidents that we've had.
4: Tell me why.
2: Yes, he's gotten us through the pandemic. He helped to save uh, businesses as, as well as jobs. And with a divided Congress and a divided nation, he has passed landmark legislation, starting with the Inflation Reduction Act, with a large portion of the money targeted to go directly to communities that are distressed. You know, there's also the Bipartisan um, Infrastructure Act, which, you know, with our crumbling bridges and infrastructure and, you know, being able to replace lead and copper service uh, pipelines for our water.
4: Now, Chris, let me bring you in. You've left the Democratic Party, and I hear it's because you're not satisfied with the party and President Biden's response to the war in Gaza. I was told that was your last straw. Can you tell us more?
5: Yes. So I say it was a slow build, actually, because of the primary process. When it came to October and I saw that not only were we having a anti-democratic primary, but we were having one to get behind someone who I vehemently disagreed with on a honestly fundamental human rights issue, I felt like I could not continue to uphold my duties supporting the party after that.
4: And I want to understand more. Those are some pretty big charges there. Anti-democratic primary, what do you mean by that, Chris?
5: Yeah, so I think for me it comes down to around-the-clock organizing, not just two weeks before the primary, but how are we going out and knocking doors and bringing specifically the Black community, but all parts of South Carolina into this, I guess, circus tent. And so for me, I think that there was an intentional decision to not give any kind of oxygen to alternative candidates. It was, I heard this as the refrain, we have an incumbent president, This is how it's always been done, and this is how it will be done.
4: I know you've talked to many members of your family of different generations older, from your grandmother to younger cousins, and I wonder if you can tell us how you see, how the generations feel differently about the Democratic Party and the incumbent president.
5: Yeah, so one of the things that I continue to uplift is that the Black community is not a monolith. My grandma, who is in her early 80s, she seems to be planning in the primary without hesitation and back- backing the president. And then when it goes to a younger generation, I'd say my mother's generation, that's where it becomes more prone to gender differences, where I've found a lot of Black men of that age range are much more willing to consider Trump on the basis of the economy, impact of inflation. And then under about the age of 35, the younger you go, one, the less interest there is in participating in the primary. Two, there's more willingness to consider independent candidates. And then three, the president's age and support of the genocide in Gaza are cited as the top motivating factors.
4: There is a legal case at the International Criminal Court over whether this is a genocide that's ongoing. And President Biden has called on Israel to reduce civilian deaths. But Chris, what do you and your younger cousins want to see from the Biden administration with regards to Gaza?
5: When it comes to Gaza, I think it, I want to be able to vote in alignment with my values. And so as a community organizer who has roots in the black community, I identify oppression both here and abroad and that need for liberation. And so when you say you're on our side here at home, I want that consistency abroad as well. And so I think young people across the nation have been very clear of all races that we want a ceasefire now
4: So is that enough to make you not vote for Biden? Let's jump past this primary where you're right, it seems like it is going to be Biden. It's going to be him against Trump, most likely, in the November election. You know, how do you weigh that when one thinks that following your political leanings, a President Trump would be much worse for the issues that you care about?
5: Well, I I will preface this by saying I think in some ways I have the privilege of being in blood red South Carolina. And so I acknowledge one more vote for Biden will not tip the state blue. However, I currently plan on supporting Cornell West in November, Hmm. whether he's on the ballot or I'll write his name in. Because I think the lesser of two evils arguments is not working anymore. It's not resonant. Yes, to the point we have Joe Biden and we have Donald Trump on the ballot. But we also have the independent candidates. And I think for so many other people, we also have staying home.
4: And I imagine, Reverend Leo, listening to that, you know, as people who have fought for the right to vote, when you hear that the younger generation might stay home, what do you want to say?
2: Well, well, first of all, I applaud his stance um, when it comes to ensuring that wanton violence is not leveled against innocent people in Gaza or elsewhere. And, and I kind of chuckled because I remember being young and black and marching against the Vietnam War and remembering that a lot of young people did not turn out to vote. And the result of that was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon won. And uh, much like the, the scenario we're facing now, if a lot of people sit home, Trump may win.
4: Reverend Leo, let me jump in here. What do you think about the criticisms of Biden? Are they valid?
2: The, the criticism I feel for Gaza that we should demand an immediate ceasefire, that it's ridiculous that 26,000 people uh, have been slaughtered.
4: Do you think the Biden, Biden administration understand- is hearing that criticism from voters like you?
2: Yes, I, I think that on both sides, whether we're talking about Israel or we're talking about the Palestinians, that this level of violence is just unacceptable. These issues always existed. That You know, we had Abu Ghraib and we had Guantanamo yeah. Bay, which Barack Obama never settled. These sorts of problems, they have historical roots.
4: And so let me ask ask you, Chris, You know, the Biden administration has pushed back for calls for a total ceasefire, saying that a ceasefire would allow Hamas to regroup and repeat what it did on October 7th. That's why it's not calling for a ceasefire. What do you say to that?
5: I say that that feels like a defense of the status quo. And I think we've the last four months have shown us what the status quo gets us. It gets us over 26,000 individuals dead.
4: So, Reverend, what would you tell people like Chris and others in his generation who are not feeling enthusiastic about Biden? Some of them are planning to sit on the sidelines.
2: Well, what helps us is solid legislation that impacts people for generations. Without an FDR, there wouldn't be Social Security. Without a Barack Obama, there wouldn't be the Affordable Care Act. There are major issues that impact us, and those are the foundations of democracy. The other thing um, about the division, I'm old enough to remember in the, in the 60s and 70s, where they said, don't trust anyone over 30. That division is not real. I was at the United Nations COP in Dubai in December when the young people marched about what was going on in Gaza. I was there and other people of my generation was there. And so we we have to realize that what impacts us is not a thing that should divide us because of age. But we ought to come together and make sure that the foundational things are the things that will help us. There will always be war and we stand against war of any type. But we should not throw out the baby with the bathwater.
4: Chris, last words to you. What would get you to vote or get you back to the Democratic Party?
5: Ultimately, I think it needs to be a positive, proactive vision of the next four years that will fundamentally shift us off the trajectory we've been on since Reagan, where so many kids are feeling like we're going to be worse off than our parents were. Until those fundamental shifts are made or presented, we are going to continue to be as unenthusiastic as I think polls have continued to show for the last year and a half.
2: Chris, I feel your pain.
5: And I will say sir, hearing, I guess, your support, to know that you were at the UAE and supporting us, I was like that. I think we have a lot more commonalities and differences and so I think Uh you're right. We can learn so much and be stronger together.
4: Chris, Sally, and Reverend Leo Woodbury are two voters from South Carolina. Thank you both for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Well, another major issue in the election will be abortion. Some candidates in states with abortion bans are making it a centerpiece of their campaigns. After the break, Deepa speaks with a woman who decided to run for office in Tennessee after her own pregnancy loss. That's coming up after this.
6: This message comes from NPR sponsor TeleDoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy: family, work, living a fuller life. TeleDoc Health understands whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight. TeleDoc Health can help. Visit TeleDocHealth.com/slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T E L A D O C health slash what's your why. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. Allie
4: Phillips is running for office after she needed an abortion in Tennessee, which has a near total ban. She's running to represent the 75th District, northwest of Nashville, in Tennessee's house. Ali, welcome to Here and Now.
7: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
4: Let's start with what got you to run. You were excited to be pregnant. But then at about 19 weeks, an ultrasound showed something tragic. Amniotic fluid had drained and the fetus's brain, heart, and other organs were not developing. I can't imagine what that must have felt like to go through that. Tell us what happened next.
7: Yeah. uh, As you said, it's a lot of anomalies that occurred. And This was a planned and wanted pregnancy, so you could imagine our heartache when we found out Mm -hmm. the tragic news that she wasn't going to be viable. Um, After that, I had to decide what was going to happen next. Either I continue my pregnancy and put myself at risk for different outcomes or to terminate my pregnancy. I have a daughter already here, and I was told if I stayed pregnant, I'd be putting my health and life at risk. So termination ended up being the option for us. And I had to look at a state because my state of Tennessee had no exceptions for fetal anomalies or non-viable fetuses. So I ended up flying to New York City a week and three days later. And when I arrived to that clinic in New York, I found out that my daughter had already passed at some point within that mm. last week and a half. There was no heartbeat when you yeah, got there. Yeah, there was no heartbeat. Yeah. Um, So I was rushed into an abortion within that hour instead of it being the next day um, because I was at risk for sepsis infections or blood clots at that point because we didn't know when she passed. Um, Mm -hmm. But since I've been home, I've been advocating very strongly and very loudly about the right to abortion access. Um, I've joined a lawsuit with the Center for Reproductive Rights suing the state Uh, And then I decided to run for office, which is never something I thought I would do in my life. You know, and I, I would love you to
4: explain to us what you understood. Obviously, it's so tragic and sad that you lost your baby, your fetus, but your health was also on the line. Was
7: that taken into account given the restrictive ban in Tennessee? So at the time, Tennessee had no exceptions other than for life of the mother. And none of our lawmakers could define what life of the mother meant. So that meant our doctor's hands were tied and they were left playing a guessing game, sitting on the phone with attorneys, trying to figure out at what point is a woman's life in danger, 25%, 75%. -hmm. And then at that point, who gets to decide if she gets the healthcare she needs or not? And even now to this point, Tennessee has added new exceptions for ectopic and molar pregnancies and to remove a deceased fetus. Uh, Still would not have been good enough for me because before I knew Miley passed she still had a heartbeat but she wasn't viable so if everything happened to me again I still would have had to leave the state even with the new exceptions in place
4: and when you got back you told your story to to your representative and that's Tennessee State Representative Jeff Burkhart
7: can you explain how he reacted when you told him your story yeah, so he knew what the meeting was about, and he made sure I knew he was a pro-life man. And after telling him my story and kind of talking about my first pregnancy, he got a, got confused and made the statement of, I may just be a guy, but I always thought it was the first pregnancy that went bad, referring to the fact that it was my second pregnancy that ultimately went bad. And I was like, I mean, yeah, first pregnancies can go bad, but any pregnancy can go bad. And that kind of just confirmed for me how little a lot of these Republican men or just men in general lack the knowledge thereof women's uh, reproductive health care. But also I tried to humanize my story with him because he has a daughter not much younger than me. And I had asked him if She called him and told him everything I just said, that she had a non-viable pregnancy and it was putting her life at risk. What advice would you give your daughter? And he told me I wasn't going to like his answer. And I said, but I want to hear it. And he said the way he grew up is he would tell her he thinks she should continue her pregnancy. And I said, even if it's putting her life at risk. And he said, that's just how I grew up. And it just solidified for me that if they don't even care about their own child's well being. They, they don't care about the rest of us. So you're running against
4: this very man who didn't appear to really hear your story. It's a red district, though, through redistricting, there are some new areas. I'm wondering about mm-hmm. what your
7: strategy is to win what seems like an uphill battle. So we are fortunate enough that it may be a red district, but not by much. My district actually is one of the top three flippable in Tennessee. And it is an uphill battle. You are 100% right. But the tool that I have that he does not is my story and my my ability to be able to connect with my neighbors because I'm relatable.
4: And and when you're doing that, what are you telling people about what you would do policy-wise? Because your state has what's considered
7: one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. Ultimately, my goal is to get the ban lifted altogether. But being in a supermajority state, I know that's not going to happen overnight. So starting off with adding more exceptions, uh, specifically things like non-viable fetuses or fatal abnormalities, things like that, to kind of just get more women access to the abortion care they need.
4: And other issues besides abortion, obviously there are people in the state who who might want to hear what else is on your slate.
7: I stand for public school education when it comes to kids with disabilities and public school funding. I stand for expanding Medicaid and putting a cap on insulin. I stand for affordable housing and higher pay wage. Um, I stand for red flag laws and proper gun legislation. Um, there's a lot of things that I care about But right now, reproductive health care happened to be the one that affected my life most directly, and it's killing people. So that is my top priority, um, while also focusing on those other issues. Allie Phillips is running for a seat in the Tennessee House of Representatives. Allie, thank you for joining us. Thank you so
4: much.
1: Coming up after the break, Peter O'Dowd talks to Darius Rucker about his new album, Carolyn's Boy which is a tribute to his mother. Stick around.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why accessibility is central to Betterment's mission. The real innovation for Betterment was taking a set of tools that were used by the ultra-wealthy and making them accessible to the average investor. And that includes tax strategies. That includes dollar cost averaging. These are all sort of tricks of the trade. Learn more about automated investing technology at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed.
6: Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com.
0: Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? you tired of doomscrolling? Trying to find humanity? Or maybe a deeper understanding of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Most musicians
8: would be lucky to record a hit in one genre. Darius Rucker has done it in two. His career got a boost of rocket fuel in 1994 with the rock band Hootie and the Blowfish. The album Cracked Rear View had three top ten hits. Then, in 2008, Rucker moved on to country and picked up more hits, including Beers and Sunshine in 2020. Well, I ain't gonna
9: work today, just wanna sit around and play, gonna hit balls off the dock, kick back in my flip-flops, don't owe nothing to the lender.
8: The sun was not shining on Darius Rutger yesterday. He was arrested in Nashville on two misdemeanor drug charges. Rutger has acknowledged heavy drug use in the past while touring with Hootie and the Blowfish. This week's arrest happened after I spoke with him about his latest honor, a new star, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. At the ceremony in December, he said the recognition was the biggest thing that's ever happened to him.
3: Oh, man, it felt amazing. You know, that will be there forever, and the names that are on there, you know, you don't get that unless you've really made an impact on entertainment in, in our country, and so to to have that is pretty amazing.
8: Did you ever think, growing up in South Carolina, that <laughs> your name would ever be on that list of, of stars in America?
3: Oh, goodness, no. Never, <laughs> you know, never even dreamt of anything like that. I was just hoping to make some music over my life, and I got to do that and. You know, I got the stars, so it's pretty cool.
8: Yeah, on top of all that, you have a new album out. It's called Carolyn's Boy. I want to listen to a track here. This is Fires Don't Start Themselves.
9: Then we'll dance through the kitchen And straight down the at my old blue jeans and your sundress fall Girl, we're holding the lighter And fires don't start themselves
8: By the way, that song has an outstanding music video. An exhausted couple (laughs) rediscovers their romantic spark, and in the process, they burn down everything they touch. Uh, It's quite amusing. The album, though, in all seriousness, was an homage to your mother, who died before your music career took off. Why was it time to honor her now?
3: She was such a big influence on me and my biggest supporter. And It was the first day we were in the studio, and I was just having a bad mental health day, I guess. And, uh... I was sitting there and the band was talking about a song and I just remember thinking, you know, well at the end of the day I'm just my mama's boy. And right then I was like, I'm gonna name it Carolyn's boy and my mood got better and we went and made the record and, and you know, it was just it was just time for me to pay homage to her. Yeah.
8: Is there a spot in the album where we can hear her spirit come through or her influence on your music? <laughs>
3: She was such a great singer. I always, I think when you hear me all the time, you can hear her influence. I I always try to sing like she was a lot better than me, though. But uh, there's so many songs, I think. Mm. One of my favorites on the album is about
8: uh, the nostalgia of early friendships and first love. This one's called Sarah.
9: It don't matter if you're married, it don't matter if you settle down. It don't matter if you're five kids deep on a dead-end street in the middle of town. I don't wanna be your lover. I don't wanna be your man. I just wanna sit and talk to you till the day is through like we're 13 again. I ain't looking for a one night. I'm just looking for a friend. you what i've listened
8: to a lot of country music in my life i've heard a lot of country songs about lost love but i don't think i've ever heard a song that approached it quite this way and i think that it uh probably resonates with anyone who thinks fondly about the people that they cared about a lifetime ago you know 30 years ago what's your take on that song
3: oh absolutely i think everybody's had their sarah that somebody in their life that might have been love or romance back in the day but now you just love to see them just to remember that friend that you had. And uh, it just resonates, I think. It's just one of those songs I know resonates for me. Every time we play it right here, I just go, man, I love that song.
8: Darius Rucker, you helped raise a lot of money to help build a hospital in South Carolina. You dedicate uh, some of your time to an organization called Musicians on Call, and this is where famous people like you show up and sing for sick people in the hospital. And I want to play this clip here. Pardon the sound, because it's from a virtual concert uh, that you performed right at the heart of the pandemic
3: all you nurses and doctors and all you medical professionals thank you guys for oh, all you okay,
9: do yeah, okay. and
3: moms and dads with your kids and everything is just really awesome thank you guys for everything and uh, god bless you all
8: Is it true uh, your mother was a nurse? And I, I wonder if that was any part of the connection you've had to building hospitals and to, oh, to absolutely. working
3: for people. Yeah, yeah, she was a nurse. I mean, she worked at the hospital that I helped build the uh, children's hospital for. She worked there for thirty years. So it was, you know, that was important to me to be a part of that. And and I think that's why I, I do love to help hospitals and stuff like that because you know that really was how i ate that was how i got clothes my mom being a nurse so i try to help as much as i can
8: Mm, how do the kids respond when they see you walk in
3: oh they love it i always ask the same question you know what song you want to hear and 90 percent of the time it's it's wagon wheel
8: (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of wagon wheel um if people don't know your version is one of the best-selling songs in country music history and, you know, I was talking recently with Catch Secor, who co-wrote that song for Old Crow Medicine Show, of course, and he told me that he thinks uh, that country music, because of its proximity to rural America and, and over the years conservative politics, that he can help bridge some of the divides of this fractured time that we live in. I thought that was a really interesting conversation. And and considering your connection to the song and to Nashville, I wonder what, what you think about that.
3: Oh, well, absolutely. You know, I would love to be part of that bridge that connects. I, I, I believe, like, Ketch... That country music doesn't have to be so divisive, you know. And, and yeah, I, I love to see country music starting to look more like America. It's music, you know. Every, it's, there's, there's room for everybody.
8: Well, and the reason I asked you that is because there is a couple of songs on the album actually that kind of get at this, including uh, this one. It's called "In This Together." We're You mentioned representation. There's not a lot of black men in country music. You know that as well as anyone. Um, I wonder if you could talk about that, because you've had such success, right? I mean, do you think you can help move country music forward?
3: I think it's already started happening. You know, that's one of the things I'm most proud of is when I started, there wasn't anybody that looked like me on the radio. Now you know you got Kane Brown and Willie Jones and Chapel Hart. You know, Charlie came and he worked his butt off, you know, and it seems like for 25 years, country music kept African-Americans out of it, you know, now that I've had some success and watching other folks have success, and I think it's a change, it's, it's, it's great to see it happening.
8: I think you just mentioned Charlie Pride. Is that, is that who you're referring to there? Yes. Yeah, of course, I mean, country music's first black superstar. What was your relationship with him like before he died? Did, did he help you? Oh, bring, we were... did he Did he help bring you along?
3: Absolutely, he was, uh, you know, Charlie and I became really good friends. He was one of the only people that I could that I really talk to about what I was going through because he was the only other one that had gone through it, you know. So uh, we became friends, and he always made me laugh, and he, we talked a lot. And he was just a mm. real special man. I miss him a lot. No doubt
8: you're a star in country music, but listen, uh, as someone who was coming of age, basically, in the mid-1990s, right alongside your rise with Hootie and the Blowfish, I have to ask you about that, because there's a reunion tour this summer, Hootie and the Blowfish, back on the road, and I want to know what that's like for you to um, step back into that mode or that identity as the frontman of this iconic band after you've had such a musical
3: evolution. It's actually really easy. I mean, every time we get in the room, we always always fall right into the same dynamic we've had for 40 years now. So it's it's Mark's band, and I'm the singer. Let's go. (laughs) Like riding a bike, I guess. Exactly. Um, Yeah, why
8: do you think people still respond to Hootie and the Blowfish after all these Ah, years? Why do they still want to go to a Hootie concert?
3: I'll tell you, dude. In 19, we hadn't played in like 15 years or something, 14 years. We hadn't toured and they said they wanted to do the tour, and I was like, I don't know. I don't want to go back out and play 5,000 seaters, and everybody was like, we're going to go sell out arenas. I was like, yeah, right, and we went out and sold out everywhere, and it was like, I was like, wow, people just want to hear us play, and we have to be smart about it. If we went out every year, it wouldn't be like that, but picking and choosing the time when we want to go out, like going out this year because it's the 30th anniversary of Cracks Review, perfect reason to go out.
8: Tell me your favorite song from that era, and we'll go out on that with you today. Oh, Let
3: Her Cry. That's still one of the greatest songs I've ever written. Why? It's a catchy song. It tells a story. You know, I think God sent me that one. Darius Rucker has a new star
8: on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and his latest album is Carolyn's Boy. Darius,
9: thank you so much. What a pleasure. Great talking to you. And just let her cry If the tears fall down
1: That's our show. It comes from the team behind Here and Now, from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Jill Ryan and Emiko Tamagawa. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Peter O'Dowd, Micaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Caleb Green. Mike Moschetto also wrote our theme music, along with Max Liebman and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin and the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you on Monday.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly, from charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant.
6: This message comes from Schwab. It's easy to invest in ideas you believe in with Schwab investing themes, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, and electric vehicles. Choose from over 40 customizable themes. More at schwab.com.